Welcome to this very special edition of An American Journey. I know it's the one that Julian has really been looking forward to because this episode is devoted to trains. And indeed, a number of our writers who are very sympathetic to me and Julian's abuse of me have said he's very unfair on trains. So today I've got a a great supporter of railways and US railways in particular, Mr. Simon Gosney. Simon, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then we can get into the meat about railways and all things American. Known you for, oh, I guess it must be 10 or more years or so ago. We've had a a few conversations about American journeys over the years, and I've been traveling on American trains for quite a while now, and uh, absolutely love my American holidays, and they always have to have a train journey in them. That's the sort of one of the the key things about, that's how I kind of spend my off time, really, when when I'm not doing what I do working for a big social care uh, business. Have you always been interested in trains, Simon, or has it you know, just something that's evolved in specifically American trains? Yeah, I've, I think I've always loved train travel. You know, it's how, like when I was growing up, you know, I used to spend a lot of summer holidays going on trains and it was always really exciting, you know, even in the UK, exciting to kind of have that that mode of travel. It always just took me to great destinations I loved going to with my family and then when I started to experience American train travel it was like another world you know a whole other world of of train journeys had opened up to me and um yeah I just fell in love with with traveling by rail in America. So which journeys have you done first of all just give us a a list of the the journeys you've done if you you can remember them all. Yeah I've done done a few there now so um I've done one called the California Zephyr, which goes from San Francisco to Chicago, west to east, about three or four days. Um, I've done um, some kind of regional ones in the northeast, like Chicago to New York, done Washington to Boston a few times, Seattle to Vancouver, up, up the coast of Vancouver. I've done Houston round to New Orleans and then New Orleans to Washington. So I've sort of zigzagged around. I've got uh, the Empire Builder coming up in September, which goes across the top, basically, sort of American version of the Northern Line, I guess. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a, got around a bit. The starting point, let's say, for UK visitors, uh, you're obviously going to advocate going by train, but why? And what should they look out for? What, you know, what is the American train experience? Well, it's uh, like a lot in America. I guess it, it, it might sound a bit of a cliche, but it's sort of a bit supersized, really, from what we might be used to over here. The trains are huge, many of the trains. I mean, some of them are, are double-decker trains. And it wasn't the first American train journey that I took, but one that I think would now, in hindsight, be a starting point for me would be the, the California Zephyr, because you just see so much of America going going that way. And it, that really, I, I think, shows the, the benefits of traveling by train in the U.S. Because the amount of scenery that you see, the different people that you meet, the different cities that you will stop off at. I think that's one of the great beauties of American train travel. You get to stop in loads of interesting places and meet loads of interesting people. And you do so in such comfort. You know, there's such comfortable well, most of them anyway, are very comfortable trains to, to ride on. To me, it seems like a far more sustainable way to, to travel and see such yeah. a huge country than lots of short-haul flights. And am I right in thinking, something? you tend to travel on your own and therefore it is a good way to meet new people since you are travelling on your own? Yeah, that's right. I, I do. And very sort of supportive of, of solo travellers. In fact, there's a lot of solo travellers I've encountered on many of my trips over there. 
And one of the reasons for that is that if you're on uh, an Amtrak service where there's a buffet car, dining car, unless you're in a party of four, you will be seated with other people. So even if you're in a couple, you'd be seated with another couple, for example. And that's how I've got to meet so many different people, not just Americans, but other European people who've been out there um, on various journeys. You, you just meet them over breakfast or dinner and just strike up so many interesting conversations. So not all the routes out there obviously have the dining car, but those that do, it's a, that, that's always a fantastic experience for a solo yeah. traveller. I can't remember the name of the book. I think like maybe Silver Street. But the the problem is now that most of them don't have proper dry, dry, driving cars. It's more pre-packed. In fact, the you know, ability of a restaurant being served to you seems limited, which is a bit disappointing. What's, so what's your, your take on the, the, the food experience of American Railways? Yes, well, firstly, that book. I mean, you recommended that book to me, Silver Streak. I absolutely devoured that book. It's uh, it's a brilliant book. And yes, uh, absolutely. You know, that it's there's a, a a finite number of routes I think now that have the the dining car uh, experience. And and you know, for those routes that do have it, it's uh, sit down at a, a table. You know, with a tablecloth. It might be a sort of paper tablecloth, but it's a tablecloth, and you're brought hot food and so on. So it is a sort of typical train dining experience, but even on the routes where they don't have that or, um, you know, if you're just sort of getting lunch or, or breakfast, you know, any other time, a lot of the, the, the services have like a buffet car. And what's nice about the buffet car is that, you, again, there's an opportunity to sort of mingle and, and chat to other people. You know, there's sort of bar areas where you can sit and eat or you can just take it back to your seat, you know. So you still get to meet a lot of other people and um the, the the food might be quite basic you know sort of hot dogs pretzels that kind of thing fresh coffee but it's all good you know it's all part of the amtrak experience yeah and, and i first the thing that struck me when i traveled on on the trains and I, particularly when i did the uh, the surf liner is they're right they're right it's a luxury uh, trip but they're very slow and they stop a lot of places and and it's very very common to see level crossings, you know, sort of, yes. uh, and and constantly holding up the traffic. So, so you're right; it's a leisurely experience, and it's certainly not high speed, is it? Um, no, I think that would be fair to say. I mean, there was one journey I, I took at going to New Orleans, and the, the train was late anyway, leaving Houston. So I thought oh, this is going to be quite a quite a trek because you know you don't necessarily expect American trains to sort of make up a lot of time unless it's one of the express routes. So. Uh, and I think in the end, it, I was sort of three or four hours late getting into New Orleans in the middle of the night. But, you know, I was quite happy with that. I had, they call it like the sightseer lounge where, you know, you've got like um, reclining chairs and views kind of up through the roof and everything. And I had all the food I needed. I had my place there and just looking out into all the scenery as I was traveling there. And yeah, I was quite, quite sort of relaxed about it being so late probably more so than i would be if it was on a, a british train you're absolutely right i mean they share they share the rails as well with a lot of freight services and i think i think i'm right in saying that federal law means that you or, or demands that um amtrak have to have priority when they're dispatching mm-hmm. the trains but that doesn't always happen so sometimes you do feel like you're competing with various freight services but Yes. And, and for British visitors, when we say freight services, we are talking really long trains. If you if you're waiting at one of these level crossings for the train, uh, the freight train to go past, you can wait a long, long time because they are long. 
typically dual engined or even four engines and then lots of carriages. You, yes, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, they, they, it's when you see that you're in the path of a freight train, you know, it's pointless looking at your watch. You're going to be there for a little while. So, yeah. But the good news is, and, and is it's, there are very few tunnels, but the tunnels are big tunnels. So you've got this double decker. And you're right, if you're looking up at, at the scenes of the glass uh, scenic carriages, you get stunning views in American trains. You really do. Yeah. And I mean, nowhere more so for me than... The California Zephyr, which is the route that goes San Francisco to Chicago. Um, I mean, it goes through the best place I think I've ever been on American train is going through Colorado because Colorado is such, I mean, it's a huge state, but it's also a state of such contrast. You've got real snowy mountains. I remember like uh, the day that I was going through Colorado, um, when I was having breakfast, I remember sat talking to some other American travelers and we were looking out over snowy mountains. A few hours later, you're going through these amazing vistas of like rock formations, all sort of deep orange and yellow, you know, like just desert plains. And then you get to there's a place I think I'm right in saying in Colorado called Winter Park, which was someone said to me, it's like the icebox of America because, you know, there are no frost free seasons there. So just in that one state, such contrast, but it's all absolutely stunning to look at. And you know, you can't tear your eyes away from it. It's one of the great things about American train travel, I think. You can just sit and watch this incredible scenery go past for, for hours. And having travelled by train and also by car, when you car, you have to focus on the road. And certainly the the highways are dull, boring, monotonous things in the class. So you do get this added advantage that you don't need to worry about steering. You just look and think. When you've been doing this train, do you typically just go from A to B or do you get off and stop and then sort of reconnect with the train a day or so late? Yeah, sometimes I would I'd get off and stop. So, for example, when I, I stopped off in New Orleans because I thought, you know, perfect opportunity to sort of see that before I head on up through uh, the Carolinas up to Washington. Um, whereas other journeys, you know, particularly like I'm going in the, in the autumn to like Montana and um, the north uh, on the Empire Builder route. And I, I'm just going to sort of sit on that for two days, basically, and just soak. So where, where does that go through, Simon? I think I've heard that one. Well, it starts in sort of Portland and Seattle, goes up through uh, Montana um, and then sort of ends up in Chicago. Um, right. So sort of right across the top and apparently some incredible views there as well so i'm just looking forward to sort of two days of just getting absorbed by by all those vistas really and i suppose we i have to ask because obviously um, you you refer to these long train journeys where you obviously sleeping on the train so what's the sleeper experience and i know you've done the new one did you not on the caledonian uh, yes. Scotland sleeper so how does it compare to luxurious caledonian compared to american sleepers well, you've got a few options actually with um, with Amtrak. So you, I think they call them roomettes, where you you can have like a sort of a berth like you would on the Caledonian sleeper um, going up to Scotland, and and they're very comfortable. You know that they're, they're obviously they're more expensive than the other option, which is uh, the coach class seating. But um, if you're kind of comparing it to, I guess, British train travel and thinking, you know, you don't really fancy sleeping on a on a british train in a in a normal seat then i guess the, the thing to say is that the amtrak 
trains are a, a bit different to that. The seats are huge. You've got kind of multiple footrests. You can lean right back. And they're sort of designed for people. They know that people are going to want to sleep in those um, those uh, seats. And many, many people do. And I've done that a, a few times as well and had really good night's sleep in them. They're, they're so comfortable. So although the, the, the roomettes are obviously the sort of premium uh, version, I, I think it's perfectly doable to sleep on the in the in the coach class seating okay so what what do you get in the roomette what what's the facilities well you get like a kind of uh fold down bed i think some of them you get you get showers as well um so the sort of typical things you'd expect in a in a sort of sleeper room really again fairly basic but it it's also offers a bit of privacy and you know so it's got some benefits but um yeah you can expect to pay a few hundred dollars extra for that okay and are they noisy Yes, they are, but they're, they're sort of joyfully noisy. You know, one of the sounds that I love that um, always just is so evocative for me of being in America is you get this sound of like the train horn that it just sounds intermittently. And every time I hear that sound, it just takes me right back there. It's sort of uniquely Amtrak sounds to me. In terms of the train itself, you know, it's not so not really all that noisy sort of rattling across the tracks, but I think partly because the trains themselves are so vast, you know, they you don't really yeah. pick up the noise like you do in uh, in UK travel. But um, yeah, it's that train horn that is a really distinctive sound for me. And, and, and you, you're right to reference that because um, the, my wife Joan watches lots of American crime crime series, and so you're constantly watching them, and <clears throat> you'll hear the you know the sound of the horn. And I try to always point out being a bit of a nerd. That can't be true because they don't have a station there. They close those lines <laughs> down. So, so I, I think the, the producers put it in to make it sound quintessentially American. But you know, you, if you're in America, you're going to hear the the, the the track, the railroad track. Yes, definitely. Other journeys you've done, you've travelled down the east coast, haven't you? So, yeah. Yeah. have you done the Boston, New York, Washington, which is yeah. obviously very popular places for tourists? Um, pros and cons of doing it by train. That's an interesting route. I've done that one numerous times, actually, because it's such a good way of getting between big cities like yeah. Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Washington, you know, some quite big places along that route. But also you go through some of New England, which is just beautiful. Up to and fantastic when you're going along the coast in New Haven, isn't it? Oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really, really beautiful um, scenery. But also even when you're approaching Manhattan, it's it's so exciting when you if you're coming from Washington. I always sit on the side of the train that I know I'm going to get the best views of Manhattan. When that skyline just looms into view, yeah. it's, it's thrilling, really. And of course, it's also quite well known that route as the um, it's a real commuter route, and they've they've got some really fast trains, Acela trains that that go quite fast on that route. And it's well known as the route that. Joe Biden took when he was a senator and he would travel back and forth to Washington. He got this nickname Amtrak Joe because of it, because he was sort of on that route sort of every day, pretty much. So it's, it's, you get commuters on that route, but you also get kind of people that are there for the, the scenery on their way mm. up or down from, from Boston. So if we talk in certainly uh, those lines. The other thing we need to mention to uh, to our listeners is the, the American station. You know, so yeah. Now, now, so tell our listeners a little bit about American, typically American stations, and then in particular highlight your favourites for me, Simon. If you think you've seen sort of train stations based on you, what you've seen in the UK, and th- there are some wonderful train stations in the UK, but 
I guess there are some stations in the US that just uh, blow your mind when you see them. They're not all like this, by the way, but there are a few. Chicago Union is like this, Washington Union, where they're massive train halls um, and lots of sort of marble, beautiful, intricate ceilings, chandeliers, um, kind of columns that they, they are incredible kind of almost works of art you know and well i'm gonna say they're cathedrals aren't they they, they, they are they, yeah. the cathedrals to the, to the trade yes in, indeed and it's sort of got that if you're kind of really find that sort of romance of train travel in any way appealing then just stepping into one of those halls um you know, totally takes you to that place. And, and, you know, Grand Central in New York is another great example of that. And also one of the other ones in New York, which is the sort of main one that you'd now get to go to up to Boston called Penn Station. Mm. And just recently, over the last sort of year, I think, they've opened a new train hall. Penn Station used to be grotty. Mm. It's a pretty grim place to travel from from New York. But now there's a, this beautiful station that's a sort of modernised cathedral to train train travel that's right opposite Madison Square Gardens and was there in March and it's a, it's a sort of based on the sort of model of that great cathedral of rail travel but with a really modern twist it's, just, it's stunning what they've done to it there's one particular feature of traveling on the trains and I don't know whether you travel light but it's the the baggage and the way you book your bag again explain to visitors and I, I, I always love sort of sitting there watching people who do it for the first time because it's not intuitive what you need to do Simon give them a background and baggage oh this is a quite a complex question actually because <laughs> I've, I've traveled on many trains myself and the US and I don't think even I've fully got my head around how it all works there's some routes where you you take your baggage on yourself you, you know you tag it and and have it near your seat and so on and um and that that's quite easy but there's others where it's kind of much more akin to what you'd have in a in an airport so yeah. um certainly when I was on the California Zephyr you know the that might, you had to check your baggage in and then you check it out at the end and it all gets tagged and goes through all the conveyors and everything and yeah, just even working out what rule applies to what service. I don't know whether you found this, but it's, it takes quite a bit of getting your head around, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and then the also is is tipping of the, of the guys who are doing the baggage, you know, and or not tipping and seeing how they treat it. Yes, <laughs> very true. Very true. Okay, okay. So we, we've, we've talked about set journeys, we've talked about stations, we've talked about the sort of the talk. Giving advice to first-time train travellers in, in, in the States, what, what, what are the key lessons? So, I mean, I was thinking, you know, making sure if your baggage is going in the, hot, the hold, you need to have things in the room that you can deal with. So what are the user-friendly tips can we give to our, our listeners? I, I think that's, that's great advice about the, the baggage. I think one of the other things is Amtrak have got a really good app, and ticketing has become a lot easier now, like for anyone who uses things like uh, the, the wallets on their phones, you know, they can import the tickets on the phones. And that's a lot easier than it was when I first started traveling. For example, I would say, if you're going to European trains in Italy, you don't need to buy in advance because it's the same price whenever. Come to England and it's like a mastermind subject, isn't it? You know, sort of, you know, in order to get the, um, the best ticket, you know, or the, or the cheapest ticket, you need to know when to book and where to book. In fact, I always... Always feel very guilty if I'm sitting on the on on a, on a train going to Manchester or, or Scotland, and I'm saying in first class, and I know I built bought an advanced ticket, and next to me is some poor Japanese tourist who's bought one on the day, and you know they're paying about eight times more than you are for the same seat. 
Again, what are the rules of, of sort of advanced booking? If they kind of encourage advanced booking where possible, yeah. and and the web the websites, which is really good, will give you all the kind of pricing and and, and indicate to you like you know how that pricing might change if you leave it a bit later. I mean, I t- I too tend to book in advance. You know, whenever I book my holidays, I just book the train at that time. You know, because you often will get really good deals and. And and not only that, but some routes sell out times that you would want. You know, you can't get the you can't get the tickets anymore. So I'd say book if you can book in advance is is always good. I think one other th- key thing where people can get unstuck, and you wouldn't want to get unstuck with this, is particularly if you're going on a long longer route. Amtrak are really good at kind of letting people off the train, and sometimes they will have an extended stop in a city or a station where you can you can wander around for 20 minutes 30 minutes sometimes longer it depends what the timetable is listen out for them telling you what that time is and just set your watch literally set your watch by it because that train is leaving at the appointed time whether you're on it or not and the last thing you want is to be stuck somewhere was wandering around salt lake city in the middle of the night just because the train had 40 minutes there and well, I just wanted to stretch my legs and see a bit of the city. It was a pretty bit of a strange way to see it, but um, I was able to do it. But I was paranoid that I had to be back at, on that train at the time because I knew that train was going without me. Um, mm. They don't check you back in. You know, it's just going to go anyway. So mm. just make sure if you do get off, by all means, but um, get back on. And, and rules like buying food off the train, on the train, what do you recommend? If you're on a long journey or you're going to take some food with you? I'd take a bit of food with me, um, some, just some snacks. But even in the buffet car, they'll usually have some sort of hot snacks mm. that you can get. So, yeah, I think and, – and sort of Starbucks coffee. You don't usually go short for food on Amtrak train. Do you have a favourite line? If you if all the ones you've done or, – or thinking if you're a first-time visitor, what would be a, a good one for you to do? Favourite line is really – it's a really – difficult question because they're all so different but I mean the one that one that really did stand out for me and I think for a first-time visitor would be a a really good one to do if you're going to the west coast and thinking about maybe San Francisco up to Portland or Seattle or down to LA and that route along the west coast is pretty stunning so a lot of Mm. it just hugs the coastline and just the views you get from that and just the way of traveling up that coast I think that just has to be being on a on a road or on a on a plane so i think that's a great one to do but also if you're going to the like a lot of british people do you know go to the the northeast and think about a, a kind of multi-city break yeah. there you know i would never fly from like new york to boston now I just it's a no-brainer for me that i just get the train and and as you said earlier you know just going through um kind of those bits of new england are, it's just worth the, the, yeah. the ticket in its own own right, really. Yeah, and and, and like you, I, I've done the LA to San Diego. That's that's a fantastic trip. And, and talking of great stations, LA station, not on the scale of Union in New York, but again, it's worth visiting. Because one of the things I've done when I'm not driving the train, I will go into the the station or what was the station. And in a previous episode with Julie and I, um, that sadly trains no longer staff at Nashville. But they have the most fantastic railway hotel, you know. So, so, so they've still got the train lines and the freight trains go through. You can't get any passenger trains, but the remnants of the hotel is fantastic. That's it. I was going to say about the two other uh, stations that are a bit noteworthy because they're not like those sort of cathedrals, but they're they're noteworthy in their own right. One is Denver, 
at Denver's an incredible station. It just it looks yep. like almost like a spaceship's just dropped on into this middle of this urban neon environment. It's it has to be seen to be believed. But like Google what Denver Union Station yeah. looks like. It's incredible. I've been there, yeah, yeah. It's great, isn't it? And then uh, one of the other ones that's sort of really always stuck in my mind is New Orleans. That could definitely not be described as a cathedral, I don't think. But it, it's like stepping back into the 1970s, and I mean that as a compliment. It's got yeah. that sort of time bubble type thing to it that is uh just makes it quite quirky and interesting there's a few like that that are just worth seeing in their own right those are the likes what about the dislikes are there, are there any things that don't like about traveling in trains? this is a for dueling because he will like this um <laughs> you don't like traveling in, in trains in america the things that you think why do they do it that way well they have rules and um <laughs> I, the Silver Street book is very good at kind of conveying some of the quirkiness of some of their rules. It's very generous, that book, in terms of, quite rightly so, actually, in terms of really highlighting how good the, the train attendants are and how much I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. They, they pride themselves, don't they, on the sort of passenger interaction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same time, sometimes they, they kind of are very firm in enforcing certain rules and it's their train and that they're, they're going to make sure that everyone complies. And at times that's a really good thing. I, I was out there in March where the mask mandate was still in force and that genuinely was a mandate. That wasn't a sort of wear one if you like. It was you will wear a mask or you'll be off the train and banned from traveling on Amtrak again, you know, so watch out for some of those rules and, um, you know, the ways that you can get off and how far you're allowed to walk down the platform on some stations is, is a bit can be a bit quirky. I haven't got a lot of bad things to say about Amtrak, I have to say, so I'm sorry. Do you, okay, do, do you have a, a favourite attendant story? They are characters of their own right, and actually the good ones want to be characters. They, they want to be remembered, hopefully for the right things. I do remember when I was on the California Zephyr, what they what they do, particularly on a long distance route like that, where they, they need to sort of mark your seat. So because they know that you're going to leave the seat a lot during the journey and wander around and so on, go to the lounge and, and whatnot. So they have these little they're almost like, like little raffle tickets. They sort of stick in the bit above your seat. So they they mark uh, kind of where you are. And I remember like there was an attendant on there that. There was a lot of confusion about where some people in my carriage were sitting and somebody took it upon themselves to move the tickets around. Oh, dear, would not be like, no. Else. No, that did not go down too well. But, um, <laughs> but they're, they're equally on that route, there were some really, really lovely attendants that are just so warm and friendly and it just helped create a really nice atmosphere because you're on that train for three days. You want it to be a pleasant sort of place to be, really. You clearly like America because you go there a lot. You're on trains. Well, yeah. So, what what's the attraction? What you know for America for you? What yeah, what are the things you really like about it? I think the, the main thing I like about it is that it doesn't matter how many times I go there, I can have a completely different holiday each time. But it still feels familiar and welcoming. You know, I've never had anything less than a a great welcome when I've been there. A lot of the American people I've I've met over there just either love British people or are fascinated by British people or love the accent or all three. Um, so the welcome is incredible. In fact, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment about a guy who, who ran around America, incredible guy. And, and he describes the saying, you know, the sort of warmth of American people towards him is just incredible, really. So I love that about it. But I love, like I say, it's that sort of diversity of you can have a, a totally different experience, see totally different scenery, um, cities, very much a lot of cities and states have their own identity. 
and you can see all of that on one holiday and, and multi-city holidays are my favorite where you can I did a holiday a few years ago where I started in California had some time in Texas and Louisiana and then Massachusetts and just they're all such different experiences all on the same holiday I'm going to do a, a little survey you see now you're absolutely right when people hear the accent they say are you from England and they show an interest what is the second question they ask you well, often it's your proximity to a member of the royal family. Absolutely. I mean, that's happened a few times. <laughs> it's always a view of the royals, isn't it? There's, yeah, there's something about the royals. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've had somebody in America, I think this is in Washington, actually, who insisted that I was from Australia. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not. I can assure you I'm not. They said, you, no, which part of Australia? And I said, well, no part of Australia, you know. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of accent fascination uh, I would say over there, but most American people I've spoken to just absolutely love the British accent. It always makes me realise like how strong my British accent can be when I'm out there. So, and, and it translates into good customer service. We were talking about the attendance that they truly do want you to have a good experience. And and very often I, I get you well, have a good day and say they don't really mean that. But in the you know, and they're much better than we are at that sort of looking after people. You know, if I compare, let's go back to train journeys and. The, even the Virgin or the LNER experience, you know, it's a transaction. If they're nice to you, it's out of bonus. Whereas in the States, it's, you know, it's part and parcel of the ticket and the service, isn't it? I, I totally agree with that. And I think, yeah, that's absolutely been my experience too. And I'd say one of the things that's really surprised me actually in the, the time that I've been going is, you know, that kind of British view that often prevails of American service about it being false and sort of have a nice day and all that kind of thing. I've really had to change my understanding of that from going over there because it doesn't ever come across to me as anything but genuine, kind and sincere. And, um, and it manifests in lots of different ways, you know, the way that people go out of their way to help you and try and sort of help give you directions if they can tell that you're, you know, unfamiliar with their, the area or whatever, but, yeah, I don't ever get that kind of sense of falseness that we sometimes attach to American service. Okay, so I'm very conscious of the time and we're sort of coming towards the end. So key messages for anyone thinking of going to America and going on a train. What, what would you say to them? What's the key message? I mean, I'm bound to say do it, to definitely do it and, and, and try and build a train journey. But, but I would say the, the key thing would be just go on the Amtrak website and at least even if you think you might prefer to travel by car or short haul flights or whatever just at least have a look at the routes that Amtrak goes through because I guarantee there'll be some cities and places there that you can easily get to on train really cheaply train travel in America is cheap you might actually you know I quite fancy going there I've heard about that place that'd be really interesting to go so the route map and the route plans and everything on the Amtrak website are great. So at least even if you don't pursue it, have a have a look, start there and see if it, it sort of um, appeals. Well, I don't think we can better that sort of advertisement for American trains. We've indulged ourselves solidly now for 45 minutes. And uh, I know when Julian comes to edit this, he'll be rigorous at cooking that. because he, you know, He's not a great train man. Have, have you been to any train museums uh, in, in, in the States? 
oh no actually i haven't but you've given me an idea for a future trip so i will definitely check them out and and, um, and in a previous episode go on look we, we, we were talking i think north dakota douglas and i was able to surprise julian with the mythical animal the jackaloop which is a, a hair with horns on it but at the same place there was a railway museum a really good and julian likes his museum so if you ever go that way if you're going across the top, you might douglas uh, i think north dakota Excellent train museum. Very small. Thank you, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you talking about trains. Thank you for your valuable time. Um, I'm not quite sure what is on episode 35, so I can't do a trailer for it, as I would, but hopefully Julian would edit one in. Thank you very much for listening, and until the next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's... Goodbye from me too. Thank you. As you can probably tell, Michael was a bit confused about his episode numbering. This was actually episode 31, and not episode 34. Therefore, for those listening chronologically, episode 32 is an interview with Scottish-born Wendy Horgan. The next episode we will publish will be episode 33. This is an interview with Grant Risden, who gives an American's view of the UK. And then finally, the next episode we will record will be episode 35, It will cover the American fridge, voting at a US election, and Washington, D.C.